This week on the podcast, we talk with the Mozilla Foundation and what they're doing to help save the internet and all the people that use it. This is Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to episode 92, Dangerously Close to 100. We're coming close, and we have an amazing guest, uh, someone that Olivia actually bumped into at South by Southwest and was nice enough to connect me with Craig Whirl, the Gigabit Portfolio Manager at Mozilla Foundation. Mozilla, uh, if you haven't heard of them, uh, I won't say you live under a rock, but you live nearby. Uh, they have done such incredible work in the open source community uh, to uh, connect and amplify the work that should be done. I mean, their uh, programs have probably touched you in, in some way, shape, or form. I'm excited um, to introduce uh, Craig to, to the show, to this audience, and the way uh, they are now working to increase connectivity and, and the amazing things that, that can be done as a result of improving education uh, and connectivity in, uh, in communities across the country and their work globally. Uh, there's, there's a lot of links uh, coming your way. So remember, this is episode number 92, and you can find it, all, as always, at wholewhale.com slash podcast uh, with, uh, with those resources. All right. Good interview coming. I'm going to jump into it now. And I'm here with Craig Whirl, the Gigabit Portfolio Manager at the Mozilla Foundation. Craig, how's it going, man? It's going amazingly well. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm pleased you're here because I am a longtime fan of uh, Mozilla, the Mozilla Foundation, and the work you all have done on behalf of the humans that use the internet. Maybe you can fill us in, though, from where you're sitting, what you're working on as a gigabit portfolio manager. Yeah, very much so. I would love to do that. Um, since 2014, uh, the Gigabit Fund at Mozilla has been supported by the National Science Foundation and U.S. Ignite. Uh, we've supported 76 projects for over $1.2 million in funding. And these are micro funds, so they range from $3,000 to $30,000. You know, we kind of assess as grant makers whether we want uh, larger grants spread to fewer organizations or more grants or smaller grants spread out to more organizations. And we opt for the smaller grants um, and try to spread that across our five cities across the United States. Uh, that's Kansas City, Lafayette, Louisiana, Eugene, Oregon, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Austin, Texas. And I specialize in the Eugene, Oregon region. also do work in Austin, Texas. Um, and, you know, these are any applications that can be put into classrooms or help workforce development uh, and just utilize these high-speed networks, gigabit-speed networks, and then showcase the need to spread and scale um, access the broadband internet um, all across the U.S. in rural areas and underserved areas and do this by really showcasing these emerging technologies. So let me put you on the spot. Uh, what is the what is the need, right? Like, isn't it fine if I have dial-up? Why, why bother with gigabit speeds or those pieces? I can do my email. You know, I can, I can write on a Word document. 
from where you're sitting, how do you frame that? Are there data points around that that you that you share? Well, that's the interesting thing about um, funding these projects is we we don't really know what's what we're capable of doing in the education sphere in the work fit in the workplace sphere uh, by utilizing uh, high speed internet. Um, and when we fund a project that's using virtual reality to um, get rid of people's preconceived notions and their internal biases that they don't know they have, which is one project we're funding, or you know, allowing fourth and fifth graders to learn how to code um, by working with students in Kansas City from Eugene and being able to use Lego Mindstorm robots to learn how to program in real time and seeing their robots move across the country. Um, then you start to realize like, wow, this, this need for high speed internet is a real thing and it can really help kids learn in new and creative ways. Um, and our program not only helps children learners, but also adult learners. We have a group called Redefining Women in Tech, uh, we, that we fund and they use 4K interactive live streaming events to help empower women to be equi equitably represented in tech fields, um, and kind of gain career resources and career goals and have this virtual space where they can congregate, learn and support one another. And, and these are things that you think maybe, maybe you don't need them until you actually start utilizing them and realize the, the benefit they have within these different communities. I think the work that you're focused on is so interesting because I think where, where we're going is internet as a right, the right of access and open uh, and free internet ideally is where we end up, uh, Present, present administration aside. Uh, I'm wondering, though, you know, are there data out there that suggest the upward mobility angles? Like you're talking about particular instances, right, of, all right, we have 4K video, you can bring a teacher into the classroom. Okay, you can search for jobs. Like how do you frame this? Um, well, just as, as Mozilla looks at it, we have this initiative called the Internet Health Initiative. Um, and part of why we do this work as well is just to showcase the need to keep the Internet open and, you know, the Internet we've always loved, how it's always been. We refer to that as Internet health. And we have something called the Internet Health Report. It's kind of this crowdsourced, crowdfunded, uh, how do we keep this Internet, uh, you know, not only open, but decentralized. So there are multiple key players, not just the big name few, um, that we have digital inclusion, that everyone is kind of involved in the discussion, that there's this component of web literacy that people from all around the world are able to partake and that language is, you know, not simplified, but understandable by all to be a part of this discussion on how to keep the internet open and accessible. And then, you know, we're big proponents of privacy and security. And that's been a, a big discussion lately. And you, if you just search Mozilla, you'll see that we, we pulled some ad campaigns from some specific websites because we believe they're not doing enough uh, to enforce privacy and, and keep people's information um, not free-flowing uh, around the world all willy-nilly. So, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful being part of an organization that, that takes all those components into uh, account when trying to make this thing that we view as one of the world's most important resources in the Internet um, accessible to all and open to all and everyone having a voice, everyone having a seat at the table. So can you help, uh, let's say, you know, a general nonprofit communications person or someone looking to enter the space, can you make the case of why the heck uh, a general nonprofit should should even care about open internet? Like, look, they get they get their emails, 
they get they can Google stuff. Why why should they care if 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 Verizon's throttling this or that? No, that's a good point. And I think a, a big thing that's not known is Mozilla is a nonprofit ourselves. Um, so we really look out for for all organizations, for profit, nonprofits, startup, local governments, federal government, state governments. Um, and like I said before, you don't really understand your need for for keeping the internet as it's always been. I think it's something that all of us take for granted. And you say, yeah, like, oh, I'm just sending some emails. I'm just doing this or that. But one thing I like to frame it as is in 10 years, maybe 15 years, almost all jobs are going to be tech jobs. A lot of us don't think of our jobs as like, oh, I'm not really a technical person. I'm not a technologist. But as we go into the future, especially with automation and all of you know, the change in the general workforce, all of our jobs are going to be tech jobs. And we really need to keep this resource we know is the Internet um, as open and as accessible as possible just looking to the future because who gets to decide what that future looks like gets to decide the future and uh, we can be a part of those discussions and a part of this changing economy and changing internet atmosphere and and that's what Mozilla does it invites you like I said to have a seat at the table and be a part of those discussions because if right now all you're doing is, is sending emails you know that's going to change in the, in the upcoming years and luckily um, there's a lot of great organizations trying to get uh, those small nonprofits involved and get schools involved and like I said, get governments involved and just kind of breaking down those silos, getting everyone involved in these technology discussions because all jobs, all careers, everything's going to be a tech job going forward. So, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I feel like I could spend the, the rest of our time just trying to, to shake people awake about this topic. But in summary, uh, if your not-for-profit deals with anything about workforce development, if it deals with maybe education, if it deals with any manner of freedom that you expect a given people to have on the Internet to speak their voice, uh, you should care about the work of the Mozilla Foundation, frankly. Um, it's real. Uh, all right. Next topic that I'd like to, to, to cover quickly. Um, can you give us an idea of why the U.S., uh, I think of the technical term is sucks with regard to high speed internet. What's going on? Why do we Ugh. lag Europe? What, like, what do we do wrong? Why do we spend so much of our airwaves broadcasting, uh, you know, old school radio? What's going on? I wish I had the perfect answer to that. I don't have the perfect answer. Um, but I do know that right now we have, uh, over 23 million Americans in rural areas that can't get access to fast internet. Um, and like you said, fast internet, what do you need that for? Well, you need it to do homework. You need it to fill out job applications. You need reliable internet to do online medical treatment, which has become a huge thing, especially in rural areas, you know, access to uh, physicians, doctors uh, from remote areas. Um, and then also, you know, there's different technical uh, and workforce based things that you can access from the internet, like a farmer or ordering farm equipment. Um, from a rural area. Um, I used to work at the White House Rural Council under the, the Obama administration. And this is something we really worked on. It's something that we accomplished a ton in, but we didn't publicize it. Uh, just getting uh, rural broadband access by working with all the different government agencies and public-private partnerships to rural areas. Um, luckily now, outside of Mozilla, there's a, uh, 
other amazing organizations, private organizations doing a lot of work in this area. Um, Microsoft just pledged $10 billion, which is huge, to get uh, fiber to underserved rural areas. They're actually going to be using white space spectrum, like unused frequencies between uh, television channels to do this. Um, and they hope by 2022, I believe, um, to get fast internet to 2 million people, which is definitely you know, a step in the right direction. Um, we just need more private investment in realizing that access to these things have set, are so significant, not only for that, like I said, access to uh, maybe remote medical care, but you know, just think of students going home at the end of the day. A lot of the students I work with in the Gigabit Fund, um, they'll have to use a technology like Pocket, the Read It Later app, to save their homework at school because they don't have home broadband access. Uh, and luckily, I mean, that was a name drop because that's uh, Mozilla's latest and first acquisition was Pocket, the, the Save It, Read It Later app. Um, but it allows students who don't have home Internet access to save uh, all the homework and documentation and wiki pages or anything they'll need it at home onto their devices. But they shouldn't have to rely on that. I mean, honestly, they should be able to have Internet access at home. But even where I live in Oregon, you know, just... 10, 15 minutes outside the city, students are having problems with internet access. And that is a huge issue and a huge disparity. And, you know, it only uh, adds to the growing disparity between the haves and have nots in this country. And and why is the U.S. lagging behind? I think it's because there's not a priority on private investment. And we are a large geographical, geographically large uh, country. And we really need to improve on that. Yeah. It's amazing that the sort of the the wake up call isn't isn't as loud as when we were talking about oh my gosh the school doesn't have books like that gets you that gets you awake like oh my gosh you know there are, there are parents out there who can't afford to give their kids books let's like start sending them in like a big rally cry I think it's the the speed with which the internet has changed our education system that hasn't woken us up it hasn't been like that is like unacceptable if you you know or outraged by, you know, Flint, Michigan, not having healthy drinking water. This is like, I'm not saying like maybe at that same level, but if you're looking at the income disparity, if you're looking at the education gaps in our country, uh, I think the points that you're raising are uh, very significant and it's awesome to hear you're working on that. So another wake up call for anyone dealing with these issues and, and inequalities. Uh, yeah, I love, I love that issue though, of like the immediacy, because I think it's hard um, you know, your your program deals with working with governments, nonprofits, for-profits. But in a capitalist economy, you know, we want that immediate uh, answer. We want that immediate return on investment and investing in broadband infrastructure for underserved areas. Um, and like you said, investing in, in strong, uh, clean water utilities in a city. Like those are things that you don't get that immediate uh, return on, but they're things that communities just need. It, like that's what we kind of compare Internet too is it's a public utility like clean drinking water like you mentioned and like all the other things we take for granted like safe roads to drive on uh we need to make internet the same priority that we do with those two issues as well so not-for-profits listening how how would they potentially plug into uh you know the the work that the foundation uh that mozilla is doing well there are a lot of ways we actually just opened up our fellowship program and it's an international fellowship program um, but anyone that wants to be a part of, of this, um, this movement of internet health and whether you're a technologist, an activist, you work in science, you work in policy, 
we have fellowship programs for all of those people. Um, anyone that, you know, you want to design products, run campaigns or influence policy, uh, both domestically and worldwide and kind of lay this groundwork for a more open and inclusive internet, like we'll put it in the show notes, but there's <laughs> our, we just opened our applications for the Mozilla fellowships and we're always accepting fellows, um, throughout the year, every year. So if you want to get involved directly with Mozilla, that's one way to do it. But just being a strong, uh, advocate locally working with your nonprofits with your governments and you know writing your legislators about what's important to you and why you want this open internet it's all of it's important all parts of it brilliant alrighty and in my most graceful segue ever uh, hackathons you help organize some of these and I'd like the 30,000 foot view of what you get out of a hackathon and what you all have planned yeah, so I'm working on both some local ones um, and some domestic ones, but one we have is called the Mozilla Global Sprint uh, Challenge. It's an annual hackathon that occurs in May. It'll be happening May 10th and 11th, and it's uh, it just energizes open source collaboration around the world. Uh, that's what I think is really interesting about it. Um, so it, it brings together coders, scientists, artists, activists, um, and it's 48 hours. It's just an opportunity to kind of collaborate and work on these open source projects um, and just think, like, how can we protect this Internet uh, through browser extensions, creating board games, um, advocacy campaigns, all these things to just get people around the world working together in one, uh, you know, central idea. Um, because we really are an international company. Uh, we have uh, an annual festival called MozFest every October. Check it out. Please come present. We would love to have you. Um, we have offices in, in Germany, you know, we have a huge, uh, growing, um, a fan base in India. That's our, one of our largest markets. And we really like to think of this globally. And it's that, that concept of, you know, think globally, act locally. Um, this allows you to act locally, but also be interacting with people worldwide. Uh, last year we had over 650 participants in the Mozilla Global Sprint, um, in over 65 cities around the world. Um, 108 projects came out of that. And yeah, you can either join as a participant, you could lead a sprint project locally or host a sprint site in your community. And, and we'll put it in the show notes, but we'd love to have you. Um, I'm also working on something called Hack for a Cause here in Eugene, Oregon. That's in April. Um, I'm really have loved being a part of that and seeing, you know, it's just, pretty much putting this call out saying, hey, local nonprofits, what are your problems? They submit their problems to us. Um, we kind of cut a few that, uh, you know, don't think we can solve, but then just bring all the technologists from the area, bring them in a room for a weekend, say, hey, these are the issues, whether it's like access to social goods, how can we create an app so people know like, where's an open bed tonight, where's, where's some food left over from, um, from the local pantry, uh, and how can I access that? So those are some apps that we're looking to develop. We have something called the 15th Night Project, which helps alleviate youth homelessness. It was an app developed at last year's Hack for a Cause, and the city actually ended up uh, adopting it and utilizing it so that we can get youth off the streets, and it's called 15th Night because there's statistics that prove after 14 nights of being on the street, youth have significant rates of becoming chronically homeless. And it's really helped alleviate that problem here in Oregon. And I'm also helping out with a similar one called 
ATX Hack for a Change over in Austin, Texas. That'll be uh, happening June 1st through 4th. Also love to have you there. Um, but just those three. Uh, this guy hackathons. loves the show notes. Our show notes are going to be record breaking. <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to break the internet with those show notes. I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait for whoever has to write those. Uh, Craig, <laughs> I like to play a game called Pro versus Con, and I would like to do it on the topic of hackathons. You can take either side, and we will go back and forth a couple times with our point versus point counterpoint. On the topic, which side would you like, Craig? Okay, I'll take pro. I'll take pro. I'll take Good pro. thing. All right. Well, would you like to? You're my guest. Would you like to go first or second? I'll go first. Why are hackathons a good thing, Craig? Um, hackathons are a good thing because they bring people together from across uh, different siloed organizations and sectors, such as nonprofit, government, education, higher ed, K twelve, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, startup together in a room and get them solving the community's problems together. And the first step in solving the community's problems is acknowledging and realizing what those problems are. And just getting that discussion going is huge for the community. Uh, and then if we're able to kind of get in a room and try to solve it over the course of the weekend, that's important. But it's also something that if not, you know, sustained, wait, I need to, I'm answering your question for you, but they're, they're there we your, go. So I'll take it from there. He said the magic word, you win uh, absolutely nothing, but sustained is the word. Change happens when people are able to work over time. And one of the biggest criticisms, I'll say, of a hackathon is that these ideas burn brightly and briefly, meaning that after it's done, after whatever you built has, has done a thing, everyone goes back to their job, resets, and does it really make change in the most effective way? And I would say, taking up the bad thing side, is that it can sometimes uh, lead us astray and, and say, hey, we solved it, and then go back to your jobs. What do you say to that, Craig? I say you're absolutely right. I don't know if I'm still <laughs> supposed to play devil's advocate, but I am a huge <laughs> proponent of sustainability plans and working that into when you're developing any sort of hackathon or any sort of programming, how are we going to sustain this? Who's going to be the champion locally? Where's the funding coming from? I think people get really excited, especially in localized work. And my work is hyper-localized, and it's what I'm passionate about. But it's finding those people who are going to carry this on. Um, because I don't care about headlines. I don't care about getting notoriety for a one-off event. That's not what I'm about. I'm about um, this is an idea, and we want to sustain this long into the future. Um, and make this a thing. Make this a thing that that people just know that, you know, we, we give to this, we want to be a part of this. Um, and it might not get headlines. I don't think long sustained, well-run programming always gets headlines. And I think that's, that's fine as long as it, um, it's effective. And like, like you talk about often on the show is there's metrics built in and it's measurable and, um, those goals are attainable. So, in the, in the bad thing side, the other piece that I see in hackathons quite often uh, are hammer nail moments, meaning that if only we had an app, we would finally be done with homelessness. If only we could just spin up this app and it ultimately turns into every, all eyes on a developer being like, oh, yeah, just, just build that app and we'll be fine with zero knowledge in terms of true uh, long-term you know, sustainability of not only that app, but the ecosystem and people that have to use it. And so uh, it can narrow sometimes the creativity when we're 
when we're just looking at it with a, a developer lens. What say you, Craig? <laughs> I mean, one of my biggest pet peeves is um, we all want to be Edison, right? We all want to be entrepreneurs. We want to be known for finding I'll, the solution. I want to be Tesla. Okay. 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 I, no, awesome. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. <laughs> it's it's more the name recognition. We just it, sometimes it's best to support an endeavor that already exists instead of reinventing the wheel. And I think all too often in in the tech sphere and with startups, even with nonprofits, like we'll start a nonprofit, even though 20 blocks away, there's a nonprofit with a super similar mission. And now we're just going to be competing for resources. That is my biggest pet peeve in the world. And I used to uh, work kind of on this organization called Community Shares back in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It was kind of a console of nonprofits. Like, how can we share information between executive directors? How are resources being shared? What are the most pertinent needs in this community? How can we solve them? Let's work together. And that's something not all communities have. And it really grinds my gears when people are stepping on each other's toes, both in the tech world and the nonprofit world, um, competing for resources when we could be working together. Um, and I definitely hear you on, on people trying to either invent apps and at hackathons that maybe don't need to be created or could be part of a bigger ecosystem. Um, and, and yeah, anyway, I think there's this way- week, this week on what grinds Craig's gears. <laughs> I actually like that. I may rename the whole segment. All what right. grinds your, what grinds your gears? Um, <laughs> Alrighty. Next up uh, on our agenda here, I, I would like to move us into the rapid fire round where I pepper you with questions and you give me answers as quickly and thoughtlessly as possible. Um, Woof. Yeah, I know. This is this is where uh, the rubber meets the road. Are you ready, Craig? I think I'm ready. That's what everyone always says. But I I'm absolutely, I was born ready. Bring it Craig, on. what is the biggest mistake that you have made that has changed the way you do things at work personally? See, I I try to make so many decisions and so many um, mistakes that I can't help but succeed because I do a million things and I'll fail 300 times. So <laughs> then people kind of ignore my, my failures. I don't know. That's not really an answer. But What is a big tech dragon that you need to slay in the coming months? Uh, tech dragon. I feel like a big problem with our... Um, community gigabit fund projects is 4k streaming interactive video we've we've had people create turn the city of eugene into a musical instrument by having high schoolers program robot or raspberry pi cameras and it works perfectly we can do all this amazing emerging technology work but we can't get uh streaming video right and we're all trying to solve it here what is your advice to not-for-profits trying to tackle social impact uh, through leveraging data or technology? Hmm. I mean, I think the first step is to not be skeptical of technology and be skeptical of big data because it, it can be helpful. And that's something I know, especially in Oregon, uh, they like to do things the way they've always been done and have always worked. And they're skeptical of technology. But what that leads to is you getting left behind, especially young people. If you're not teaching them emerging tech skills and teaching them how to code and teaching them uh, skills for the workplace of the future, they're going to get left behind as adults, and that scares me. I strand you on a desert island with just one metric with regard to how the gigabit portfolio uh, grantees, we'll call them, are doing. Which metric are you getting on your desert island? 
wait, why am I on an island? <laughs> no, I. so I'm someone that loves, in terms of metrics, I need qualitative and I need quantitative. And I need those stories. So the storytelling of how are these uh, programs lever- leveraging these technologies and creating community impact, that's what it means the most to me, is storytelling. So I'm going to bring um, an amazing storyteller with me to the island. I'm going to bring... Uh, I don't know, Robert Frost is coming. Is that a storyteller? I'm lost. <laughs> I'm going to toss you in a hot tub time machine. You go back to, let's say, when you just joined the, the Mozilla Foundation, which is, you know, a, a number of months ago. Uh, what would you tell the the young, bright-eyed Craig who joined the, the foundation? What advice would you give him? Oh, good question. Um, I really love the way that I came into the community and had bright eyes and just got a lot of people talking. Um, I don't think there's too much I would do differently because before I got here, I feel like the tech community was siloed from the education community, was siloed from startups, uh, small, medium-sized businesses, large businesses, and I've helped break down those barriers, I think. I don't like to toot my own horn, but I think just, I don't do anything special. It's just getting these people in a room, getting them talking. Um, maybe I would just sleep four hours a, a night instead of six and get more and more people talking. Uh, but that's the best part of being a community builder and of, of doing this work is seeing those people talking that otherwise weren't. And regardless of if they're, cause what we fund are pilot projects and sometimes they don't succeed. Sometimes they, they slightly fail and it's about taking risks, but the connections we make at the end of the day are what are, is most important. What is one tech tool or website that you've started using that has changed the way you, uh, you do work? Pocket. Another shout out to Pocket, the read it late, formerly, called read it later but now pocket uh it's just amazing because i am definitely a procrastinator when it comes to getting my information and if i can save those uh articles for later to read them it totally changes everything i can just go you know full speed at night with all these articles and these interesting tidbits that came up throughout the day um and like i said it's also used as an app that can save articles for offline consumption for people who don't have access and in rural areas and underserved areas. So it's just an amazing tool, and it has nothing to do that we acquired them. It has nothing to do with that the founders are amazing people from Wisconsin. Greg, what is is something you think your organization should stop doing? What should we stop doing? Oh, man. Um, Well, I'm just a a huge fan of this hyper-localized gigabit work. Um, I just feel like when you go into a community, you can do deep dives. Um, We are becoming more internationally focused, and I think that's just a something that every company has to decide. Are we going to be internationally focused, be reaching every country, every person, or are we going to do deeper dives into fewer communities? Um, I just know myself, having worked in the federal government, now I love this hyper-localized work. So I, I, I just wish we worked in, in more uh, smaller communities. It doesn't make the headlines, but I think it, it really impacts uh, people to a, a deep extent. I give you a magical Harry Potter style wand that you can wave across the social impact sector. What does it do? I think it it puts them all in in each of their individual communities into a giant room, just mingling and talking and sharing resources. Because like I said, my biggest pet peeve is when people are not sharing resources, they're hoarding them to themselves and creating redundant organizations. It's, It's very bothersome to me. All right, in the spirit of sharing... Craig, how do people find you? How do people help you? Um, well, you can always email me at craig at mozillafoundation.org uh, for any interest you may have in any of the programs I'm working on. 
You can also go to whirl.com. That is my personal website. That's my last name, W-I-R-O-L-L.com. Um, I put some stuff I've done on there. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, you can reach out to me anytime, any hour of the day. I'm always here for you. Greg, you're a brave man giving away your email on the internet. I wish you the best of luck and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a true pleasure. I enjoyed talking with with Craig about these topics. You know, let us dance around the importance of uh, of high speed internet. What the the country has and hasn't done. Some of the blockers and why it matters. I do mean it. I do mean to try to wake uh, this audience up a little bit. The nonprofit sector. Try to wake them up to not only what they can do internally with data and technology, which is what this podcast is about, showing you different ways and thinking about. Uh, of leveraging the tools available, but also maybe with the lens now of looking at your stakeholders, the people that you are working with on the ground, the people that they're helping they're working with, maybe the subtle impacts potentially that poor connectivity is having uh, on your audience in some way, shape, or form. You know, just for fun, next time you're out in the field or, or, or working with people out in the field, do a speed test of the internet. See, see what's going on. See what they're, they're being given. Then imagine if that were, let's say, water uh, or the access to light at night. Um, these are fundamental rights, and, and they have direct they have direct correlation to your upward mobility. So uh, stick it in the back of your mind. Think about it uh, as you grow your your organization, grow your impact, uh, and check out you know check out the work that uh, the Mozilla Foundation is doing. As always, podcast resources you're going to find them episode 92 on hoel.com slash podcast. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time. This has been Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. Resources, as always, may be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us.